Welcome to Friends Who Argue, a podcast from the Advocate Society. Each episode will bring you conversations with advocates across all areas of litigation who share their stories, insights, tips, and tricks from their journeys as advocates. We hope you'll find this podcast informative, inspiring, and most of all, entertaining, and that you'll subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to stay up to date on the latest episodes. On this episode of Friends Who Argue, we welcome Laura Gurr and Aaron Durant. Laura Gurr, a partner at Cohen Hiley, will interview Aaron Durant, a partner at BLG, who is last year's recipient of the TAS Writing Award. Thank you, Aaron and Laura, for joining us. Thank you all for joining us today as I talk to Aaron Durant of Bordner Ladner Gervais in Ottawa about the early days of her career, her mentors, and what impact she sees COVID-19 has had on access to justice. First, I'd like to congratulate Aaron. Aaron was the recipient of the 2020 Writers Award presented by YASC. This award recognizes a young advocate who has made outstanding contribution to the Advocate Society publications. Aaron was involved early on in the development of our Keeping Tabs newsletter, including a few years as editor. Thank you so much for having me, Laura, and um, and thanks for uh, recognizing the, the Writers Award. Um, I really would not have had that award if I hadn't been involved with TAS um, early on in my career. Um, it's a really great organization um, for young lawyers to get involved with. Um, as you mentioned, the Keeping Tabs uh, newsletter is something I was involved with in the early days, and the newsletters that TABS uh, keeping tabs and um, advocacy matters and all of them that the Advocate Society does are really great opportunities for young lawyers to write about really anything that they want. Um, you know, some of my early writings were things about, you know, why you should participate on your law firm uh, softball team and, and other silly things. But it, it's, it's a great outlet, you know, to be creative and also to get your name out there. And I have, you know, tasks to thank for a lot of the stuff that I've been able to do um, in my career. So it's been great to be involved and and thank you for having me on the podcast. That's wonderful. So for those of you who don't know her, Erin Durant joined BLG in 2015 after working at a small firm in Barrie. She has been a part-time professor at the University of Ottawa, where she's taught both insurance law and civil procedure. She's a litigator that handles insurance, commercial litigation, and investigation matters. Erin is very active in the legal profession and in the Ottawa community. She was a longtime member of the Advocate Society Young Lawyers Standing Committee and was a member of the Advocate Society's Task Force on Trials that published the best practices for civil trials and the Advocate Society's Court Technology Task Force that contributed to the Paperless Trials Manual. She currently sits on the Access to Justice Task Force. Welcome, Erin. It's clear from your biography that you've had considerable trial experience. I believe you've been involved as counsel or trial support and at least one trial per year since your call to the bar. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I've been pretty lucky with regards to getting trial experience. And one of the reasons I was able to get involved in trial experience relatively early on is I started my career in Barrie. And in that jurisdiction, they do civil trial sittings uh, twice per year, every year, or at least they did when I was there. So as a busy insurance defense firm, we all had to learn how to prepare for trial. 
Um, it was sort of all hands on deck those uh, two times a year. So um, often one of our trials would go ahead. Sometimes they wouldn't, and we would just have, you know, the opportunity to prepare. Um, so that, that's how I got my early trial experience. And when I joined BLG, um, I was joining at a busy time, and they had a couple trials uh, scheduled, and they needed to staff them with younger lawyers. And I was uh, lucky to jump on on those as well. So uh, trials have been one of my favorite parts of, of being a litigator, and uh, I'm hoping that um, pretty soon we'll be able to get back to doing civil trials um, after the COVID pandemic either passes or, or we start having them heard uh, more frequently in Ottawa. So before we get into the impact of COVID-19, um, I just wondered if you could tell me a bit about why you believe that we as litigation lawyers should care about whether there's adequate access to justice. Yeah, so this is something that is relatively important to me. And I think it's important to me personally for a couple of reasons. The first is I, I don't come from a legal background. Um, I come from a much more middle-class background. Um, you know, my family would be the type of family that would struggle in terms of having to afford their own legal services, um, you know, as a member of the middle class and, and the price of legal services. So, you know, I think just personally, based on my background, you know, access to justice and access to lawyers is something that is important. Um, and sort of the second source of my of my personal motivation in, in this area is um, I worked very closely with David W. Scott, who passed away relatively recently, and this was one of his uh, his real passions and his pet projects was making sure litigants had access to to legal services and access to justice. And you know, he had worked pro bono throughout his career on on a number of things. You know, he was a regular volunteer at the Pro Bono Ontario Law Help Centers. He would often uh, take in random pro bono mandates that were of interest to him um, or even if he just met somebody randomly who needed help you know he would often take them in you know uh, whether formally or informally through the firm um, so I think that passion really passed on on to me you know the need for lawyers to to serve the public um, were the only lawyers and paralegals are the only people allowed to give legal services in Ontario. So that's a privilege that we all have. And we have an obligation to the public to make sure, you know, everyone does have access to, to lawyers and access to justice as part of our, you know, mandate as being the only one able to, to give those services. So I, I really believe in that. And I've really worked um, towards that, I think, sort of with some of my um, my volunteer work and some of the messaging I do on, on social media, I think it's very important. So which hurdles to obtaining access to justice do you personally experience or do you observe in your practice? I think there, there's a number of, of challenges. Um, you know, the first being it's very hard for people who, who can't afford to hire a lawyer, especially if it's a civil case, to know to know where to go. Um, they eliminated legal aid for civil cases, you know, many, many years ago now. Um, the Ministry of the Attorney General uh, tends to post um, self-help type guides um, and resources along those lines on the internet. And there's also other 
uh, not-for-profit organizations who do the same. Um, but if someone's looking for, you know, civil pro bono representation, you know, a lot of people struggle in terms of knowing knowing where to go um, to access that. And, you know, we often get calls, just cold calls from from you know, the public to the firm, you know, do you have a lawyer that can help us do this? And, and I think individual firms, you know, are willing to take those cases, but it's really a matter of, from the perspective of the person calling around, it's kind of luck of the draw or like a lottery if you're actually able to call randomly and find someone willing to help you. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm quite passionate about the Pro Bono Ontario Law Help Center is um, and their online resources as well, is it is a dedicated resource where if you call them, you know, they will connect you to a lawyer for civil help somewhere, um, and they may be able to help you just through whatever step you're working on, or, you know, in some instances, you can get connected with a lawyer to, you know, actually represent you in the case. So I think one hurdle is is making that resource known to more people and also to make sure that resources that resource in particular is, is funded enough to you know to have a higher volume and that people become aware of them and that they can keep doing you know their mandate of of connecting people with lawyers willing to help um another challenge and and mr scott and i used to talk about this a lot is there are there is a segment of the population that doesn't trust lawyers that doesn't want to work with lawyers that would prefer um to represent themselves and um and these individuals um you know come before the courts for for help and to manage their their legal problem and you know we there's no way to force someone to get a lawyer um so i know that judges as well you know have some difficulty in terms of walking people through that process and you know making sure that they are you know especially if they have a, a legitimate legal concern or a legitimate defense that they are, you know, being able to represent themselves properly and that they have the resources that they need. So, you know, I think those are some of the big challenges. And I guess the third one, which which is obviously related, and I probably should have started with this, is just the overall cost of um, obtaining justice and hiring a lawyer and working your way through a court process um, is, is tough. Um, it's high. The, the process is cumbersome and you know I think that even the middle class or the high middle class would have a hard time affording lawyers to represent them for most of their legal legal problems so that's just on the civil side you know there, there's so many other challenges that exist um, for criminal and family lawyers as well um, you know from the cuts that have been made to legal aid um, for example is a relatively big one um, and criminal lawyers in particular, you know, work their way through these files, donating really a lot of their time. Um, and, you know, I have a concern about the legal aid system as a whole and, and what, whether or not it's going to continue to be able to, to keep up and to help the people that, that really need it. Um, and again, in, in criminal and family, there's, there's the problem in terms of the middle class and not being able to afford um, access to a lawyer but also not qualifying for legal aid and, and them really getting into a squeeze when they have a legal problem so those are just sort of some <laughs> some of the hurdles in terms of accessing justice and there's certainly 
um, a lot written on the matter and, and people a lot more knowledgeable than I am in terms of, of, of the problems and, um, and where we're kind of going um, to address them. So speaking of where we're going to address them, you know, I, I think it, it was important and it, it is important to highlight that that work that Pro Bono Ontario Law Help Centre is, is doing. But are there any other possible solutions that you see? Yeah, you know, there, there's been a lot of effort made to um, to bring this issue of access to justice to the attention of um, of all levels of government. And also um, to try for try to ha- to have the law school not the law school the law society um, take on a bit more of an active role in the area. Um, I'm concerned about that access to justice may continue um, to be reduced as the province in particular is dealing with the expenses associated with the coronavirus and, and having to spend money in many other places. So I hope that you know legal aid funding you know, is at least maintained. Um, but I think increased investment in the justice system in general is needed. Um, and the Law Society's mandate is, is an interesting one. And, and I've done a, quite a bit of research into this um, as part of the pro bono Ontario crisis that occurred a couple of years back. And it's interesting because the mandate of the Law Society as set out in their statute um, indicates that it's their job to, quote unquote, promote um, access to justice, and, and they do do a lot in terms of promotion of access to justice, hosting their Access to Justice Week, um, you know, making resources available to the public. Um, but they've they've held a relatively restrictive role in terms of um, their obligation to actually fund initiatives and to invest sort of the law society's money into you know making sure there's access to justice available to people and you know there's sort of a tension between the law society government and and lawyers in terms of whose obligation this is and and especially you know whose obligation is it to you know to pick up the tab for it and i think rightly that they're reluctant to take too active of a role um in in funding when when really um it's an obligation of, of the province um, you know, to make sure that the justice system is operating and, and that people are able to access it. So, you know, that's a little bit of a, a fight that goes on um, in the background. But I think, you know, lawyers, for the most part, have been have been doing their part. You know, the private bars getting, it seems to me, more and more involved in informal pro bono programs. Um, you know, I think that even in-house legal departments, you see them volunteering on mass to help um, with, you know, whether it be the Pro Bono Ontario uh, Law Help Center or other access to justice organizations. And, you know, certainly, you know, the small firms that do criminal and family work do do more than their fair share of, of free work. So I think it's really something that we all need to work on together. You know, the private bar, the interim lawyers, the law society, the province, you know, we all have our own little piece where we can, where we can help. And, I think it's an area that needs help and that we should all continue to focus on and, and not let it slip through the, tra- the, the cracks um, due to the coronavirus and, and all of the other pressures that we're going through right now. So we've, we've talked about it a couple of times um, or made reference to COVID and, and we know that the coronavirus pandemic has had a dramatic impact on the practice of law and litigation. I'm just wondering if you could talk about some of the pros and cons 
of COVID as it pertains to access to justice specifically? Yeah, I'll start with the cons. You know, obviously, despite our best efforts, um, things have fallen behind. You know, there was initial, initially a court shut down. Many things were canceled. Uh, trials need to be rescheduled. Other events need to be rescheduled. Um, even the delays and limitation periods in the, the civil context, you know, in the delays in, in statutory deadlines, you know, also result in a delay in terms of matters reaching, you know, their conclusion. But, you know, so, so obviously it's caused more delay and there was already quite a bit of delay and backlog in the system, um, especially on, on the civil side where there tends to be less court resources. But, you know, and so those would be the, the main, the main, you know, con. Um, but there have been a number of pros. And, you know, I think that the government of Ontario, in particular, and the Attorney General's office has done a really good job in this area in terms of modernization. And, you know, I think the Attorney General would be the first to say, like, a lot of it came really late in the day. You know, for example, recently, there was the announcement that we won't have to be, you know, using fax machines anymore. And I think I saw the Attorney General tweet that that might have been 20 years too late. But, um, you know, a lot of these little changes, I think, are going to make big differences down the road. So, you know, across the province, you're having motions heard by Zoom, you're having case conferences dealt with by telephone. Um, we're having, even outside of the court, lawyers are dealing with their discoveries, their mediations, their cross-examinations using, using Zoom. Um, and all of these little things are, are going to cut down on the expense of litigation. You know, you're going to be, you know, waiting in court less, you know, to have a relatively minor thing dealt with. Um, you're going to be traveling less, which cuts down on, on costs and inconvenience for both lawyers and their clients. Um, I think it'll be really hard, if not impossible, for, you know, the court system to backtrack from some of these advancements. And, you know, when I speak to to lawyers and judges and, and everyone involved, especially my clients, you know, they never want to go back to the before times in terms of sending me to Sudbury or Thunder Bay to examine somebody for two hours, right? Like, I think a lot of these advancements are are going to be great and they're going to be cost savings. And, and I really don't think they're going to disappear. I think that it's going to continue into the future. Um, even, you know, filing things online cuts down on on time and expense and the requirement to, to print things in paper. So so all of those things are, are a bonus. Um, you know, I, I wish it didn't take a, a worldwide pandemic to get us there, but it really did push everybody forward a number of years. And, um, and I think that's going to be a lasting bonus um, of the pandemic for sure. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I don't, I don't see us going backwards. And even, even within, within law firms too, I think, you know, for any firm that was a bit reluctant to embrace remote work uh, for those that were asking for it, I think, I think we've shown as a profession that we can continue to be productive while working at home. So, you know, I think it's not really an access to justice improvement, but I think it may be something that, you know, improves people's quality of life if working remotely is something that they want to continue doing. I think that firms and other workplaces are going to be more open to accepting that going forward as well. Yeah, that's an important point. We've talked about how it's harder to get a, a trial date. 
um, now and, and there still is this backlog of cases. Um, so where litigants can attend remotely and, and while courthouses are opening back up, I'm just wondering if you think this second wave um, that we're currently experiencing is gonna have an additional impact on, on some of those um, delay issues that we know we're experiencing right now. I think we're we're certainly better prepared for the second wave. You know, the courts are already up and running in terms of having the remote motions and in writing motions and remote court appearances happening. So I think in that way, um, you know, we're not going to have as much delay. Um, I think where it really becomes a problem is trials and in particular jury trials. And, and jury trials are something that around the world, you know, jurisdictions are are trying to deal with in the context of a pandemic. And, you know, for those who, who haven't done a jury trial, you know, it's not just the actual mechanics of running the trial itself with the six jurors in a civil case or the, the 12 jurors in a criminal case. It's the process of even selecting that jury, you know, and, and jury selection, um, if you've never done one, you know, requires a couple hundred people to get together in the same place and, you know, a selection process out of the jury pool. So, you know, those those areas are particularly challenging when we can't, you know, bring people together. And I know some jurisdictions have um, started booking conference centers, in particular Toronto, where, you know, where they'll bring, you know, the entire jury pool together and, and people be selected. But, you know, when there's an, a spike in cases and a region moves into different, you know, one of the different color zones that we now have in Ontario, you know, it results in the jury trials as well getting canceled or delayed. And, you know, that's that's a big problem. It's one that the province and, you know, the judiciary and lawyers are still dealing with in terms of how do you, you allow those proceedings to continue. And in criminal cases, it's particularly important because the right to a jury trial is a, is a constitutional right. Um, so that's going to be an issue, I think, during the second wave. Um, in the civil context, um, you know, there's very little in the way of civil jury trials happening. There's been a couple occur in Toronto um, in many jurisdictions, including in Ottawa. We haven't yet got civil juries back up and running. And um, so the second wave is, is going to continue to, you know, potentially delay those matters um, for, you know, the foreseeable future. Um, and, you know, in the civil litigation context, there's also some challenges associated with um, people requiring, you know, expert reports and getting examinations done by doctors and, you know, the doctors not being able to, to see people as a result of, you know, restrictions at their hospital, for example. So, you know, it's certainly going to have some, some impacts in terms of delaying things further, I think, as a result of the extent of the second wave. But Overall, you know, we're in a much better place than we were back in March. And, you know, I'm quite confident that there's been such collaboration between the judges and the attorney general's office and the lawyers organizations in terms of coming up with solutions to the problems that I think we will continue, you know, to improve and push through and, you know, we'll, we'll all get through it together eventually. Well, thank you so much, Erin, for coming on our podcast, Friends Who Argue. Um, and thank you for your time and your insight. We hope that everyone enjoyed listening to our discussion and will subscribe and listen to the podcast. Our next episode is about genetic testing and the Supreme Court of Canada's decision in reference region 
Genetic Non-Discrimination Act. So I hope that everyone tunes in for that one as well. Thank you again, Erin. Thank you for having me. Thank you again to Laura and Erin for joining us on this episode of Friends Who Argue. A special thank you to Laura, who is also one of our production leads. Thank you to Chris Horkins and Webb Hale, who with me are the editors of this podcast. Thank you to our production leads, Ian Brenneman, Natalia Rodriguez, Jean-Simon Schoenholtz, and Matthew Huis for their contributions. And thank you to the Advocate Society for providing us with this platform. Lastly, thank you to Danielle Baglivo of Dentons for helping us edit. That's it for our show. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and that you'll tune in next time. If you enjoyed this episode and want to stay up to date, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Friends Who Argue is brought to you by The Advocate Society, an association of advocates with over 6,000 members from all areas of practice across Canada. For more information about The Advocate Society, go to www.advocates.ca or follow us on Twitter at at advocates underscore SOC. Until next time, we are Friends Who Argue. Thank you.